Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. kick off a brand new series today, and it's called Fixing Us. This is a marriage series that we do. We do one every year. Uh, my wife and I, we take time every year to focus on our marriages. We, we want to recenter. We want to refocus because how many of you know that, that over the year or over, over time, attitudes and the way you feel about each other just kind of get kicked off a little bit, like just a small degree. And while that small degree may not feel like a lot now, over time, it winds up leading you to a place where you miss the mark. Like, you've got a target in your marriage, I want to experience this, and we're just off a little bit and we go a long distance. You can do this in a range, right? You're shooting that gun and you're aiming at the target. If you're off just a degree over a long distance, you'll just completely miss it. And so every year, my wife and I take time to refocus, recenter our marriage, decide what it is we want. How can I love you better? What can I do to demonstrate my love for you? We do this by reading a book together, a marriage book together, or we'll jump into a grow group that's discussing marriage. In fact, we just had one start this past week. If you're interested, you can join us. Uh, It is going on. You missed the first week, and that's okay. You can catch up really quick. We're only through the first two chapters of that book. Men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. It's fantastic. It's great. And, uh, and so we, we do this every year, and we spend time doing it uh, as, a, as a married couple, but we also do it as a church every year. And so this is one of my favorite times of year. We get to do baptisms today, and I get to kick off a marriage series, and it's Valentine's Day. Woo-hoo! Great day at Simple Church for Pastor Aylin. So what I want to do today is I want to I begin this series by taking you down memory lane. Because all of you, or if you're married today or you're in a relationship, that relationship began somewhere, Right? That relationship began at, at, on a date or maybe somebody introduced you, but there was a moment when you were in that dating relationship or at the beginning where you knew this was Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and you had all these feelings and these emotions about it. Maybe it was from your first date, you know, you just, just, you just knew this was the person you were supposed to be with the rest of your life, or maybe it was that first kiss, there was something magical, fireworks went off, or I, I don't, I'm not really sure, maybe there was, there was like... Um, some kind of special date that you went on where they took you somewhere special, but, but you knew in that moment that this was the person you were supposed to be with. So the goal of today, the whole goal of the series is to see God do a work in your marriages, but today I want to help you recapture some of that magic, some of that magic that you experienced in the beginning of your relationship. I want to start off by sharing my story with my wife. Some of you have heard this story before, and uh, if you have, just kind of put your seatbelt on and hang in with us. The rest of you, this will be a fun little trip for you. Uh, my wife and I, I was previously married, and I, I was married for a year, and my marriage fell apart. I was just very immature and we, very, very selfish, both of us, and, and very young as well. And that marriage ended in a year, and the result of that marriage was my two, my two boys, my twins, Tyler and Trent. And, uh, and Shanda, being in another planet down in Kentucky, um, <laughs> we didn't know each other existed. She also had a child, and, uh, and so, but, but both of us, at very similar times, decided in our walks, in our dating life, you know, we were single and ready to mingle, but we decided we were going to shelf that, 
and just wait on God to provide. In fact, Shanda had gone so far as to write a list of what she wanted in a man. She folded that up and put it in a little prayer box at her church during one of their prayer meetings and said, God, I'm going to trust you that you bring me this guy, right? She didn't know it was going to be me, and she didn't know it was going to be from Columbus, Ohio, right? She said, I'm going to trust you with that. And I got to the same place. I had been in the dating scene and just said, you know what? I'm all done with this. I'm going to go, and I'm, I'm just going to follow after what God has for me. And so I, started, I got connected to a church. I started serving in that children's ministry at that church. And come to find out, they all assumed I was married, even though I didn't wear a ring. They thought because, well, no guy has two kids and brings them every Sunday on his own. Maybe we just didn't see the wife, you know, and because it was one of those bigger churches, and, and they just assumed that she was hiding in another part of the ministry somewhere. And when they found out I was single, it became their goal to get me married or get me in a dating relationship. They're like, oh, well, we got to get this guy connected with somebody. And so the children's pastor reaches out to me, and he says, hey, I've got this great girl that you've got to meet. And uh, I said, I'm in. Let, let's, let's do it. So he, he said he promised me for weeks and weeks to get me her information, and what he comes to me with is her email address. So it was, we were like the first eHarmony, you know what I'm saying? Like, before any of that stuff was legit, because we were still on dial-up at the time, like, eHarmony, that wasn't happening. And so she, the, I get the email address, and we decided to email each other and start Question, you know, doing little fun pop quizzes, like where would you like to go on vacation? And we just started getting to know each other. And then, you know, the big, the big moment came. It was very godly, it was very spiritual. And it was necessary. We had to swap pictures. And so, <laughs> I don't mean to be so shallow, but I gotta be honest with you, it didn't matter how much I liked her in print, if I didn't like that pic, it was not gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? I'm shallow, I just said it, okay? And of course, her picture comes through, and she sends me this beautiful black and white photo of her and, and Kasaya, my daughter, and, uh, uh, and, and it was gorgeous. I was like, oh, this is awesome. She's going to be great. And then I sent her a picture of me and Weird Al. And then she continued the conversation. It was all good. It was good. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, but in that picture, it was black and white, and I didn't, I didn't get to see how pretty her blue eyes were in that picture. But, but then it came time, and I said, okay, we got to meet. We got to meet in person because the picture is great. The conversation we're having over, te- over the, the emails and the, and the phone calls, these are all really great, but we've got to meet in person. Because how many of y'all know there's that one picture that everybody puts out of themselves, right? And they look great on Facebook. Their profile picture looks awesome, but when you meet them in person, they look like sloth from the Goonies. You know what I'm saying? Oh, come on. You know what I'm talking about. If you are eHarmony or Plenty of Fish or any of those dating websites, you know what I'm talking about. And so the time came for me to meet her, and she came up here and stayed with our, our, the children's pastor who wanted to introduce us. He stayed with, he and his, she stayed with uh, he and his wife, and we went out on our first date. It was a double date, and the moment I walked in those doors, like I said, in that picture, she sent me a black and white. I didn't know how pretty blue her eyes were. And that was that moment that I knew. Ah, oh, I'll bet this girl can cook. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That, 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 was, that was the moment I... That was one of the moments for me. But it wasn't that night that I knew she was to be mine forever. It was the next night she stayed in town and we went on a date the next night, just the two of us. And it wasn't until we were on our way to the place where we were going that evening that I let her know that I had smoked cigars occasionally and she ripped into me. She said, what are you doing that's going to end your life so quick? Don't you understand? This is going to kill you. And it was at that moment that I knew she had to be mine. And so, so 
Three months later, we were engaged because it doesn't really take me a long time to decide on what I want. And then, and then five months later, we were married and we spent the last 11 years getting to know one another. And, uh, and it's been an incredible ride. And I would say that today, I'm more in love with this woman than I've ever been. And before the day that I saw those pretty blue eyes and she screamed at me over cigars, I knew I'm more in love with her today than then. And, and that's my desire. I want that for all of you today. I, I hope that that is the situation for you today. I realize that is not everybody's reality, but I, I, hope, I hope that for you. And, and here's what you need to know. My wife and I are not perfect, especially me. We're, we are not perfect. What we do is we follow biblical principles and we honor God with our lives and with our marriages. That's, that's the secret to all of it. And we do that. And I'm, I'm not so wise. There isn't, God didn't make me perfect and he didn't give me more wisdom than he's ever given you. No, what's happened is, is I've probably made more mistakes than most of you and I've just learned from them is the case. So I hope to share that with you and, and, and help you in some way, especially if you're here today and your marriage is in trouble. I, I hope that, that something that I share over the next few weeks will help you uh, because I, let's be real, nobody gets married thinking, you know what, 20 years from now, I'm gonna hate your guts. Let's do this, it'll be awesome. No, nobody does that, they don't dive in on marriage thinking that. And so for the next few minutes, what we're gonna talk about is, is some of the things that I feel like is damaging our marriage relationships, okay? And the very first thing is unhealthy self image. Unhealthy self-image. David, this is King David writing in Psalm 22.6. He says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. Now, if you know David, you'd say, you were king. You had all the riches and all of Israel. You have every access to everything. Beautiful wives, beautiful children. What, what are you complaining about? Why would you write that you feel like a worm? Well, when you look in David's history, you understand that there's, there's some baggage that David is carrying. David has a, a wound in his heart that he's speaking from in this case. It's a father wound. David, go back through his story, and you know that David was a shepherd. Now, shepherds were reserved for the servants of the family, and yet here he is, Jesse, his father, has made him a shepherd. Now, a shepherd would be on the road with the sheep for days at a time, disconnected from the family. In fact, because of the nature of their job, they were considered to be ceremonially unclean which means that because he was unclean, he could not fellowship or touch or sleep in the same place that his family was at any given time or else they would become ceremonially unclean, which meant they could not go worship at church. You following me? And so this is, this is what they, the position that they put David in, that dad put David in, said, you go be a shepherd. This is reserved for a servant, but this is what you're gonna do. So David has this wound in his heart, like you just, you just dismissed me, you just cut me out of the family. And then when the prophet Samuel comes, because God sent him there to the family of Jesse to choose a king, Jesse calls all of his sons, but he doesn't call David. And the prophet Samuel looks through all of them and says, none of these are it. Do you have any more sons? He's like, oh yeah, let me, let me get my boy David. Don't touch him, he's a shepherd. So David comes in from the field and it's like finding out that you didn't get invited to Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got this wound in his heart, like you were supposed to call all of your sons and you didn't even bother to call me? And so David is, has this baggage. He's got this wound in his heart from his father, his relationship with his father. We know further as you follow David's story that David encounters King Saul and he looks up to King Saul and serves in his court and he's looking for Saul to be that fatherly role, that person to affirm him and to tell him he's doing a great job. But what does Saul do? Saul just wants to kill him. He's jealous of him. And so there's yet another wound in his, in his life. And so David has this poor self-image of himself. I think a lot of us are like this. 
in our lives because of what's happened to us in the past, maybe what we've done to ourselves, what others have done to us, we have this poor self-image. And there's danger in having a self-image. Let me explain what, what happens because when we have this negative self-image of ourselves, we think that if I just get married, that everything will get fixed. Eh, wrong. That's not what happens at all. In fact, if you get married and you enter into that marriage broken or carrying all this baggage and not having dealt with it at all, it really creates a toxic environment for that relationship. And so you got to be careful. You need to guard your heart. You need to explore those things. If you're unmarried today, begin to deal with them now. Begin to ask God to help you because you're just going to go into that marriage expecting someone to fix it, and that is not going to happen. Look at this story of what happens with it when you have this negative self-image. Uh, in Numbers, it tells the story of the Israelites as they were scouting out the land. They're heading into it, and they're looking to see who's in the land before they go and try to take it over. And what they see is a bunch of giants. And they, they're intimidated by it, and they come back, and they give this report. But look at what this negative self-image does. It says, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them. There's that feeling, right? That, 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 there's that feeling that they have. We felt like grasshoppers. And then it goes on to say, and that's what we looked like to them. Now, we don't have a report that they actually spoke to the giants, and, and the giants called them grasshoppers, what they did was they had a feeling about themselves and they projected it onto somebody else. We felt like grasshoppers and that's what we looked like to them. They're declaring this about themselves and saying, those guys thought we were grasshoppers. And that's what happens to us. We assume that the way we feel about ourselves is how other people feel about us. And when we carry this negative self-image into our marriage, it's very toxic, it's very damaging. Like, girls, you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm unattractive, I'm fat, nobody could love me. I, you know, and you think this about yourself, and then when your husband comes along and he pays you a compliment, you go, he's got an ulterior motive. He just wants to get me in the bedroom, he wants me to do something for him. Like, he's, he's after something from me. He doesn't really believe that about me, and you reject that compliment. He says, you're beautiful, and you say, no, I'm not. Or guys... Guys, you have this, this negative self-image about yourself. You feel like a failure. And your wife comes along and says, babe, you're doing a great job. I'm really proud of you. That look at what, all that you're accomplishing. And you, go, you look at her and think she's after something as well. She just wants my money. She doesn't care about me. She just wants my money. And so this, this negative image that we have and we project on other people is toxic to our marriage, especially when we allow those wounds from our past to create that self-image. So unhealthy self-images are destroying us. The next thing that is getting us is these unmet expectations. Every single one of us have come into our marriage or into any relationship, really, with an expectation of what it's going to be like. And the expectations that we have in our heart are either from what we see on TV or what we saw mom and dad do or what they didn't do. We have an expectation. How their marriage went is what we expect our marriage to be, right? And we walk into that and, and find out, hey, this couldn't be farther from our expectations. Like, this is not what I expected when I thought I was going to get married, right? So you have an expectation. Here's reality. And the difference between that is you're equal to your level of frustration. You're just frustrated with it. You're irritated with that person because they're not what you thought they were supposed to be. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, this hope deferred, what is that? It's something I want that I'm not getting. Something I'm hoping for that is delayed. An expectation. I have an expectation for something. I'm not getting it. It makes the heart sick. And essentially, it brings about a state of depression. 
When there is something you desire that you're not getting or an expectation that is not being fulfilled, it creates this state of depression in you. There's a woman who on Valentine's Day woke up and she had a dream and she looked at her husband and she said, baby, I had a dream last night and it was a dream about diamonds. What do you think that means? He said, I'm not sure, but I guarantee you tonight, you'll know. She's all excited, spends her whole day like, oh my gosh, diamonds. Come that evening, he brings her a gift and hands it to her and she rips open the package and inside of the package is a book that says The Interpretation of Dreams. <laughs> now I know that's a little corny, but you kind of get the point, right? There's an expectation that was not being met. And unrealistic expectations create dysfunctional relationships. Where do these expectations come from that we have for our spouse? Well, I, I think it comes from the perfect person lie. We believe that there is one person out there that is perfect just for us. And we've been taught this because of our culture, because of the movies, because of stories that we read. Ladies, Disney has messed you all up, for real. Because you want a prince to come in. Someday my prince will come. You want your prince to show up and sweep you off your feet. You want to have a dramatic and beautiful wedding. And then you want what happens next. The book closes, and as it does, it says, and they lived happily ever after. But what you get on the other side of those marriage vows is anything but happily ever after. We're all kind of messed up because we think that once we get married, everything after that is supposed to be great, and it's just not. The real world is, not, is, is just not that. We want the feelings that we experienced when we were dating. We want that Twitter patient, that 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 euphoric kind of love to last forever and ever. We want that in our marriage. But what happens? On the other side of those wedding vows, we stop filling the love tank, right? The love tank is, is, is important that you fill it. You're filling it all kinds of ways when you're dating, right? Buying them gifts, buying them flowers, opening the door for them, taking them to nice dinners. You getting dressed nice, you got your hair did, your nails did, your makeup all done up. You look fancy while you're dating, and then on the other side of those marriage vows, it's sweatpants and your hair's just in a ponytail. And guys, we start burping and farting and, and leaving our underwear on the floor. And so we stop filling the love tank. And then we start doing things that are depleting from the love tank, right? And so what we've got is a, is a drain on the relationship. We've got a drain on the relationship that leads people to a place where they go, I want out. I want out. This is not what I signed up for. This is certainly not the way he or she got me in the dating relationship because you know what you did to get them in the dating relationship is what you got to keep on doing. Oh, you aren't ready for me today. That's okay. <laughs> hmm. But we want out. And we start climbing our way out of that instead of identifying the obvious, which is that I'm selfish, you're selfish, and we need to learn to be selfless. We skip past that, no, 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 you're just not the right person for me. There's somebody out there that is right for me. The grass is greener on the other side. Truth, here's the truth. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. It will take intentionality. It will take effort. It will take work to make your marriage what you want it to be. We're too selfish for that, though. You guys feeling good about yourself? <laughs> Truth is, there are no perfect people in this world. Ecclesiastes tells it best in chapter 7, verse 2. It says, there's not a single person in all the earth 
who is always good and never sins. You need to come to the reality today that the person that you are married to is a sinner. Some of you are sitting there going, well, I didn't need to come to church to find that out. I didn't even need a Bible verse to know that. I know that I'm married to a sinner. <laughs> Some of you are sitting there nudging people. <laughs> but we enter into, this, into our marriages expecting that Jerry Maguire moment, right, where you complete me. I want you to complete me. I want you to fix me. But we find out that the other person is just as broken as we are and that they can't fix us. And that what you should have done is gotten healthy before you entered into the marriage. Truth is, is when you enter in both of you broken like this, you're worse off than when you were single. So unhealthy self-images and unrealistic expectations work together to lead us to a very unhappy place called unforgiveness. We wind up in a place where, where we are exhausted. Our love tank is empty. And we're done. And that unforgiveness leads to bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15 says, a bitter spirit is not only bad in itself, but can also poison the live, lives of many others. In other words, you create a toxic environment that begins to affect people around you when you harbor bitterness. The best thing you can do when somebody sins against you is to give it the Elsa treatment and let it go. When you harbor that stuff, man, it just creates a toxic, a toxic nature inside of you. I know, that's part of my story. It corrupts all of your relationships. Many of you, you would describe your home life like this. The problem is, is you're, har you're harboring unforgiveness. You're holding on to it. And you can hold on to it if you want to, and you'll just become a statistic. Because if statistics are true, 50% of the marriages in this room will end in divorce. That's not a number I'm okay with. That's why I think we need to work on it. We can do better than that. We can, we can do better than that. And God's word gives us a way to grow from that euphoric love state, that state of Twitter patient, so that we can grow and become mature in our love. We can have a strong marriage, essentially setting the model for the world of what marriage should look like. I think that's where we need to be. That's where we should be heading. And the way to do that is found in Ephesians 4, 2. Here's, here it is simply for you. Be humble and gentle. This next one I hate. Be patient with each other. Dear Lord, that is not me. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Making allowance for each other's faults. This is what marriage should look like. We should be making allowance for the faults that we find in each other. Years ago... You need to understand that this is what I'm about to tell you is not a reflection on my wife. It's a reflection on me. I like things just so. My coffee cup is set here just so because that's the way I want it. I, I, just, I just like things just so. Before service comes in, you know what you'll find me doing if there's nobody here? I'm in here arranging the chairs because I like things just so. If anybody uses my office, they take a, jokingly, but seriously, take a picture of how it looks, and then they make sure they put everything back where it was, because I like things just so. I've created a culture. They know that I like that. I don't get mad at anybody or yell at anybody. I just like things just so. And they know that I'm gonna spend my energy making sure everything is just so. I've even earned a nickname, it's Anal Aaron. I don't like it either. So, 
connotes all kinds of bad things about myself that I'm just not happy with. But I like things just so, and I'd come home from work, and my wife would be on the couch, and the kids would have had dinner. Their shoes would be laying in the hallway, and the dinner plates would still be on the table, and dinner wouldn't be cleaned up. The mail would be strewn across the table, and I don't know, it just set me off, because I like things just so. And one day, and I just, I just huff and puff and slam things around. And one day, the Holy Spirit asked me, he said, could you not love her this way as I'm cleaning things up, slamming things? And I thought, I guess I can. I can love her. I can clean up after her. I can clean up after the kids. I can clean up the dinner. I can clean up these plates. I can do that. For the next two weeks, I spent my time loving her that way, cleaning up laundry or cleaning up anything after her. Just, just you know, because she's, she's not a person that likes things just so. That's not a flaw. She's just chill. So I was walking behind her, cleaning up, and for two weeks I'm gritting my teeth saying, I just love this woman. God, I love her. Look at the way I'm loving her. I'm loving her this way. And I started praying about it. I said, this is tough. I don't know how I'm supposed to be able to continue loving her this way. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke back and said, that's because you misunderstood what I asked you. I didn't ask you to love her this way by doing this. I asked you, could you love her this way as she is, different from me? See, while you would say, well, there's no fault there, there is no fault there. I'm not saying that this is one of her faults, but it's a perceived fault on my behalf. And you all know that perception is reality, right? If I perceive she has a fault, whether you would identify that as a fault, some of, all of you that like things just so would say that she's got a fault. But all the people that are just like her that are chill would say that I've got a fault. See? <laughs> I'm preaching. <laughs> but we have to make room for each other's faults. Perceived or real. Doesn't matter. Make room for it. Be humble. Be patient. Be kind. Make room for those faults. Be graceful the way God's been graceful to you. Mm. Love is the secret. Love is the secret here. It's the only way that we can make our relationships work. And the kind of love that the Bible is speaking of when it says, because of your love, you need to understand that the Bible is translated from two different, two different uh, languages. Greek and Hebrew. Hebrew is the Old Testament, Greek and the New Testament. The Greek word here for love, there are three different ones found throughout the Bible. The Greek word here is agape love. This is the highest form of love. This is unconditional love. This is love that gives and never expects anything in return. And we are supposed to make room for each other's faults because of our agape, our love, our unconditional love for them. That's intense. When you look at that, you're like, there's, there's just no way. There's no way I could love somebody this way. And you're right. It is actually not humanly possible for you to love somebody this way. But there is, there is a key word I said there, humanly possible. There is a way for you to love somebody, to agape them. And I think there are three keys found in 1 John 4 that, that we're going to walk through. That I think that if you'll, if you'll understand them, 
and make you the best lover in the world. If you embrace these principles of love, of agape love, you can be married to a person, uh, any kind of person, and have a good marriage. And if you're in trouble today, let me say, if your marriage is currently in trouble, let me tell you, I'll make a prediction for you, pain is in your future. So that's not very positive, Aaron. I'm being positive. I'm positive that pain is in your future. There is pain of working it out, or there is the pain of divorce. And I've walked with many couples through this. And let me tell you, the pain of divorce is greater and lasts much longer than the pain of working it out. I believe every marriage here is worth saving. Now, if you're here and you're divorced, there's no condemnation. I'm not here saying, you've done it wrong, look at you. That, that's, that's not the thing. There is God's grace is for you, and we're just going to pick you up right where you're at. So don't, don't even think about the past here. That's not even what we're dealing with. We're going to move you forward. But if you're married now, you can use these principles and have the best marriage. The first principle is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Every word love that is there in this verse is the Greek word agape. It's unconditional love. What it's saying, the principle that it's saying is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. It says love, unconditional love, requires something to happen in you before something can happen through you. Something needs to happen in you before something can happen through you. Love requires something. It is not humanly possible for you to do this on your own, but if you encounter and experience God's love, come to know him, become born again, you can love somebody like this. You can give unconditional love to people. In fact, when you scroll down to, to uh, verse 19 of that same chapter, it says, we agape love or unconditionally love because he first unconditionally loved us. In other words, we have to receive his love in order to give that kind of love. You have to be close to Jesus in order to give this. When I do marriage counseling with people, I can spot it from a mile away. They say, here's all the troubles that we've got, and they start nitpicking at each other. I can tell what's going on with them immediately. They're far from Jesus. They've stopped reading their Bible. They've stopped praying. They've stopped going to grow groups. They've stopped coming to church. They've stopped having Christian fellowship, and they've got no accountability, nobody to encourage them, nobody to pray with them. They're isolated, and their hearts have become hardened towards each other. So the first thing that, that I need to do is get them reconnected with Jesus because, man, once you connect with Jesus, your heart will soften and those issues will begin to dissipate, They begin to deal with themselves when your heart is softened. We have to work on ourselves first. Some of you want to come to Jesus. You're like, Aaron, I'm going to come to Jesus and I'm going to do this. I'm going to give my heart and life to him because Jesus is going to fix them. No. You come to Jesus and you let him work on you. You let him work on you and the way that you will love them will change them. We have to work on ourselves because after all, we can't control anybody but ourselves, right? If you're here and you're single today, let me say that the best thing that you need to do right now is to, it's not about the right clothes, it's not about the jewelry that you wear, or the car that you drive, or the money that you have. The best thing you can do if you want to be married is to not need to be married. 
is to not need to be married. Because the people that go into marriage needing to be married are the ones that think, I'm going to get married and it's, everything is going to fix itself, that, that all this is going to be okay. Truth is, is when you enter into the marriage, you're going to find that that person that you expect to fix you is not Jesus. They can't fix you. It is impossible. You need to let God work on your heart and your life. If you're married and you're walking through this, let me, let me say this, that as you get closer to God, those wounds that, that you've experienced, if you didn't take time to do inventory of your life and you're still dealing with the negative self-image and you're still dealing with the un, unrealistic expectations, let me tell you something, you need to draw close to God. You need to begin to spend time with him because as you do, he'll heal those wounds, he'll reveal those negative self-images that you have about yourself. He'll begin to identify those things. I can tell you firsthand, my wife and I, there was a situation she went through, which is none of your business. And I was, <laughs> and I should have been there to support her, but I wasn't. I should have been there walking with her side by side. And I said, babe, is it okay if I sit this one out? And she said, yes, she lied. She was not okay with it. But she stood there in her strength and handled that situation on her own. I was not very close to Christ at that time. Two years later, I'm laying in bed. My relationship with Christ has been rekindled. God has been working in my life and in my heart. And I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me. He says, you need to apologize because two years ago, you didn't support her. And I thought, that's ridiculous. And I started thinking about all the implications of not supporting her during that time. And my heart began to be really heavy. And I turned over to her and I said, babe, you sleep? And she's like, nope. I said, I need to apologize to you. And I apologized for the whole thing. Owned it. She cried for 30 minutes. And God restored us. Something she wouldn't even talk about. That wound was there. I'll tell you something, when you get closer to God, your heart becomes softer. And you can hear. The Holy Spirit had probably been talking to me for years and I just wasn't listening. Now she and I have a joke. Whenever I'm not on board for something she wants to do, like go to a movie or anything like that, I'm like, babe, I'm not going to find out about this two years later, am I? <laughs> it's kind of funny, kind of not, you know. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Look, folks, we have to be impacted by God's love, that agape love first. Before, before we can ever demonstrate that agape love to our spouse. We, we have to. Second thing that we can do is found in 1 John 4, chapter, or, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Don't miss this. It says it clearly. This is love, agape love, unconditional love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's what you get. Love is a sacrificial action, not an emotional reaction. It's not an emotional reaction. The world says that love is Twitter patient. It's that, that euphoric love. They say that love is where your hands are shaky and your knees are weak. You can't eat and you can't sleep. She's driving you every way but loose. It sounds like love's got a hold on you. Alan Jackson. He's a country singer. That's what the world tells you. That's what love is. But that's not what love is. Love is a sacrificial choice. 
that we make every day, every moment of our day. You make a sacrificial choice. And God loved us first and displayed it when he gave us his son. When he gave us Jesus. A lot of you say, well, before I love that way, I need to feel really great about him. Let me, let me share something with you that's just going to blow your mind. You ready for it? Choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead and feelings will follow. See, you say that you were in love with that person and that's why you asked him to marry, him, marry you. But let me tell you something. There are a series of choices that you made to pursue that person, to gift that person, to date that person, to capture their heart. You made a series of choices that led you to a place that you said, I love you. You had that feeling. See, choices lead and feeling, feelings then follow. But many of us want to have those feelings first, and then we would choose to act, but that's simply not the way it works. You don't need to feel love for somebody before you give love to them. People want to identify love as, as some, some ditch. I just fell in love. I was walking along and fell into it. But, but you, can't, you can't fall into love. There was a series of choices that led you that way. The description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and know that every time love is mentioned here, it's agape love. It's unconditional love. Okay? It says love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous. It doesn't sing its own praises. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It isn't happy when injustice is done. It doesn't think about itself. Sorry, I skipped the whole verse there. It doesn't think about itself. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep track of wrongs. It isn't happy when justice, injustice is done, but it is happy with the truth. Love never stops being patient, never stops believing, never stops hoping, never gives up. Love never comes to an end. Folks, these are not things that you trip into. I wasn't just walking along and tripped and suddenly I was patient with my wife. You don't just fall into that. All of these are choices. And there are sacrificial choices. This is what love is. Ask every married person in this room. There are days that you feel great about your marriage. And there are other days that you can't stand that person you're married to. Doesn't matter. You can make a choice to love them regardless of how you feel. We cannot chase our emotions. The world tells us to do that. They say, well, if you aren't feeling it, then don't do it. Or do what makes you feel good. But we can't chase our emotions. We have to make choices. Those feelings will come along. So proper self-image is that God loves us. And proper expectation in our relationships is that love is not an emotion. It's a sacrificial action. At this time, if you're here to get baptized today, I would like to dismiss you to go prepare. Just head right out the back. Ryan will meet you there and give you directions. The last principle is this, 1 John 4, 11, continuing that same section of verses is this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he's saying since we've been impacted by God's love, we have an obligation to share that love with other people. Since we've been impacted by his unconditional love, we have an obligation to love people unconditionally. It continues on and says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look, people can't see God. You can't see him, but 
If you and I love each other the way that we ought to love each other, if husband and wife would love each other, agape love each other, unconditionally love each other, God's love is made complete in you and people will see God in you. They will see God in your marriage because God is love. He's inseparable from his nature. In fact, they say it succinctly in verse 17. I'm going to jump down to 17. It says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Jesus was the physical manifestation of God's love. He said, I love you, so I'm sending my son. You can't see me, but I'm going to send you my love in the form of my son. The last thing we learn from this is that love is the tangible expression of Jesus. On your wedding day, you exchanged vows and you said, till death do us part. You said that I will love and that I will cherish you. And if you did that, then you need to, and you meant it, then you need to realize that real love, agape love, has nothing to do with us. Has to do with laying our life down for our spouse. Has to do with making sacrificial choices for the other person. Think about this. Marriage is the only part of your world where 100% of the time you get to show someone Jesus. They're with you through everything. None of us deserve Jesus' love. None of us deserve what he did for us. I don't deserve my wife. She doesn't deserve me. This is not about who deserves what. This is about God's love. We have the honor to show them Jesus every single day of our lives. We have the obligation and the opportunity to demonstrate God's love towards them every day. And to love them in a way with no guarantee of emotions or, or of return. To love them and make sacrificial choices with them before the emotions come along. We have that opportunity to love them that way, to love them sacrificially. Because the core of marriage is not about us. It's about showing them Jesus. And let me tell you what happens when you do. When you show your spouse Jesus, your marriage transforms into something we call the shiny. The shiny is what draws people into God. The shiny is what says leads them to go, what is different about your marriage? What is different about your life? And you have that opportunity to say, well, we follow biblical principles. We honor God with our lives. You have the opportunity to show them Jesus by the way that you love each other. That's what all this is about, folks. This is what the Christian life is about. It's about making sure that every part of our life is in a Godward and God-honoring orientation. Because when it is, we turn into the shiny. There's something different about our lives that people look and say, I want that. And we get to say it's Jesus. We get to introduce him. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, first I want to speak to those that are Christ followers today. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with an unhealthy self-image. Maybe you didn't deal with your baggage prior to entering your marriage and you realize that. Others of you would say, I'm struggling with unrealistic expectations for my spouse. I'm holding on to unforgiveness in my marriage. I'm bitter. I'm angry. Or maybe 
Maybe your heart has just been hardened because you've been far from Christ for too long. Whatever it is, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to soften your heart again. You need to experience his love once again so that you can begin to see things in your marriage set right. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you to receive what I've been praying all week that you would receive, which is God's grace. Right now, Father, I, I pray for every marriage in this room, every relationship in this room. Lord, I pray that you would be at the center of them all. I pray, God, for those that are struggling with unhealthy self-images that, that are a result of wounds that have been caused in their hearts and their lives. Lord, I pray that you would heal them. Lord, those of us that have unrealistic expectations, may we shift to understand that all we should expect is that we need to love our spouse in an unconditional and sacrificial way. Lord, for those of us that are holding on to unforgiveness, I pray that they can let it go. No matter whether you're in a marriage or not, to let that unforgiveness go from your life, to see the bitterness rooted out and freedom take its place. God, do this work in our marriages. Transform us today. Let us experience your unconditional love right here and right now. And may we begin to walk that out and share it with our spouse and those we're in relationship with. Others of you, you're here today and you would say, Aaron, I've, I've never encountered God's love before. I've never, I've never ever experienced anything like this. But right now I feel God's heart or I feel my, my, in my heart that God is drawing me to him. I feel his love. In this moment, I would tell you that this is your opportunity to choose. To choose to accept the gift that he gave us in his son and the expression of his love. See, he sent Jesus to this earth, his son, to live a perfect life with the sole purpose of dying on a cross. So why would he die for me? Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin, in other words, the penalty of sin, which you and I are, every single one of us sinners. It's just the wages of that or the payment of that is death. Eternal death, eternal separation from God and his love. But it says Jesus came here and lived a perfect life. And when he died on that cross, he paid a price that you and I could not pay on our own. He made a way for us to be made right with God and to spend eternity in heaven with him. To be forgiven, set free, and transformed. If you're here today and you would like to experience God's love I'm going to pray a prayer and if you, if you want to be counted in on that prayer right now is your opportunity to begin a relationship with God through Jesus so I don't know how all you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord and I'll give you the words to pray it's simple but if that's you and you'd say Aaron count me in on that prayer would you just shoot your hand up right now shoot your hand up right now and say Aaron that's me count me in I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus today there are people watching by Periscope and listening through the podcast. If that's you right where you are, I'm going to pray this prayer. The rest of us here in this building are going to join you, and we're going to pray. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart, but either way, you just need to mean it and say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross and rose again in three days. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Transform me. Transform my life. Give me your Holy Spirit and show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. 
Jesus be Lord. Amen.